0: Hello, I'm Steve Rostron from sunny Preston in Lancashire, and I'm proud to sponsor Simon Ward with the High Performance Human Triathlon podcast for this week. So let's get cracking. Over to you, Simon. Thank you, Steve, so much. Steve's a regular listener who generously sent a donation to sponsor this week's episode. And if you'd like to do the same for future episodes, please look out for the link in the show notes below. So hello, I'm your host, Simon Ward, and welcome to the High Performance Human Podcast. This podcast, my website, and the regular newsletters all focus on the goal of helping you to achieve peak human and athletic performance. I seek to interpret the science as best I can and translate it into some easy to understand lessons. And if you enjoy this podcast, I've created a membership program which allows me to provide more in-depth exclusive content and programs so that you can take your performances to the next level. And at the end of the episode, I'll explain about these benefits in more detail and let you know how you can join our growing tribe. So about 20 years ago, it started with the Norseman, an extreme triathlon in Norway that's become an iconic long distance triathlon that features in the bucket list of many triathletes who like to combine extreme racing challenges with adventure and traveling and since that first event it's blossomed into what's known as the X-Tri World Series. Another event in this series which is fast becoming a bucket list event is the Patagon Man in Chile and in this week's episode I get to chat with Scott Whittlestone who finished third overall last year and his two support crew members Grant Carter-Moore and Mark Taylor about last year's event. We talk about the whole X-Tri concept how you can adjust your training for events like this, the essential and valuable roles of the support crew, and the events itself. So let's get cracking and chat with three lads who went to Chile for an adventure. Well, welcome to the show, my old friend Grant Cartermore and his two pals, Scott Whittlestone and Mark Taylor. I do. Good evening. <laughs> Lovely to have you all on the show. Now, Scott, you were racing in. Argentina, just before Christmas at Patagonia man. And Grant and Mark, you were Scott's supporters. Um, Before we get on to talking about the race and the specifics of of that event and the X-Tri format, um, I'd just like to go back a little bit and get a, a feel for the um, experience levels that all three of you have in triathlon so Scott as as I know that the other two of your athletes as well but Scott as the athlete that did Patagonia man can you give me a brief potted history of your triathlon experience please
1: um, started 2014 with the first triathlon and then quickly decided really to move up to 70.3 2016 and then 2017 was my first Iron Man um and then since then really from 2017 through to to 2022 I've just been racing Ironman and 70.3 so Patagon Man would have been my 14th uh, full distance Ironman since 2017. Um, and
0: was that was that, was Patagon Man your first um, sort of what I call adventure triathlon? Right yeah
1: all the others have been Ironman branded. Uh, right. Racing. So it
0: was my and, first. And And was that intentional because I, I know that getting into man's uh, about being successful in the lottery. So was it just a hit and hope type thing? And
1: I mean, I got the uh, applied from 2019 and then obviously due to COVID and lockdown and the pandemic, um, it's, it's rolled and rolled really. Um, there's only 300 people that can race it each year. So I think it's a bit a lottery. I can't remember, to be honest, whether you put any of your race history on. Um, you know, I've done pretty well up to that point racing Ironman. Um, so whether that played any part, I'm not too sure, really. But um, yeah, just just fortunate, I think, to to get the uh, one of
0: the 300 to race. Here's something you didn't know, Grant. I um, Beth said to me, "Why don't you put in for Patagonia Man?" And I didn't really have much enthusiasm for doing any more Ironman races. Right back to Kona in 2017, um, or Iron Distance races. So I did it on a whim, thinking we weren't going to be going to Kona last year. You know, to, to meet meet up with friends and volunteer. Um, And then when when the shortlist came through of the lottery, it said, oh, you haven't been successful. And I'd forgotten about it. So I was like, oh, thank goodness for that. You know, I wasn't that bothered. But it said there's another there's a rerun for all the people who don't take up the places. And I forgot to check and I wasn't that bothered. But, but I was just going through some emails and I saw this email and it said, hey, Simon Ward, you've been successful. You've got a place at Patagonia Man in 2022. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, literally! What am I going to do now? Because then, at the bottom of the email, it said, "You need to decide by Wednesday evening, 10 p.m." Well, it was Wednesday afternoon when I looked. Um, by then, we'd already decided we were we were going to go to Hawaii, and Beth had got in contact with friends and said we were going to go meet them there. And so, um, yeah, I turned it down in the end. Might live to regret that one, eh? But um, uh, especially when you guys tell me the story, so there's always more opportunities with these things. You know what it's like. There is Grant, but I'm getting a bit older now. There might not be many more opportunities for me. Mm-hmm. We'll see. So, okay, right, Scott. So, um, this was this was your first adventure try, um, Grant. Um, I know a little bit about your history, but why don't you tell the listeners?
2: I've been in triathlon about ten years now. Um, I've sort of uh, never really knuckled under too much. I sort of dip in and out, um, I should sort of maybe be a bit more consistent with my training, but uh, yeah. Um, I've done I think about four 70.3 races and four iron distance races I qualified for Kona on the first Ironman at Bolton 2019 Um, yeah I had a sort of very good day a very strong bike um, and uh, yeah just a bit lucky really um, in the grand scheme of things because I know it's a bit of a I remember when we were sitting in the um, in the auditorium for the um, award ceremony. And Scott said, what are you going to do if you get a roll down place? And I was like, no chance. And he was going, no, you could do. And I was like, no, whatever. And it actually happened. And I was like, I had to eat my words. It was it was a bit, yeah, wow. I didn't expect that. And, you know, I was, I was very lucky. And it was the best experience of my life. Really.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you done much since, Kona, Grant? Uh, we
2: uh, did... Um, what was that, Mallorca, when we, when we see you, didn't we, when we went for a swim? hmm um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and this year I'm doing South Africa in two weeks
0: time. Oh, I think you might be bumping into Alistair Brownlee out there. He should be out there, shouldn't he? I, I had a message from the other day. He's training in Spain at the moment, and then he's going straight out there. So, us nice life as a pro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, Mark Taylor, tell us a little bit about your history in triathlon.
3: Uh, it's not very much, really. I started um, training and joined Chester Tri Club in two thousand nineteen. Uh, yeah, twenty nineteen, and I did a few races here and there. Um, I'm not really a big fan of racing. I've done a few um, Olympic distance and a few seventy point three. I was signed up to do Wales, and it got deferred and deferred and deferred, and just bored the life out of me. So, it sold me Um uh, mm-hmm. and then. I, I just enjoy training with my mates, going out for rides, swimming, going on adventures like this. I, I get more more of a kick out of it through the people I've met and the friends and the good times I've away from pressures of racing. I just do it for a laugh, that's that's why I mean I'm always messing around doing something stupid. You've
2: got I, experience as a race director of the D Miles. Yeah,
3: I, I run the uh, the Chester Tri Club. Run the, the D Miles swim event, which is hundred years old this year.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I organise that every year. Spend a lot of time swimming in dirty water.
0: So, <laughs> then, right, then. well, I like I like your approach to uh, appreciating training more than racing. There's definitely uh, a lot less pressure, but you can still be fit and enjoy life, can't you? And um, yeah, I feel I feel like I get a bit more fun out of that side of things now than I do racing. So, okay, so um, now we know that you're all engaged in triathlon and enthusiastic about swim, bike, and run in one way or another. Let's just talk about the concept of X-Tri events. Now, this this all started with Norsemen, didn't it? And I think uh, Norseman's become the sort of world championships and a bit like Hawaii was in triathlon, you know, once upon a time you could enter um, and now you have to qualify. I, I have to put, I'm going to raise my flag here and say I was one of those who was able to do Norseman when you could enter. I did it back in 2010. So uh, um, if you're going this year, Scott, it'll be a great experience.
1: We didn't get a slot unfortunately. It was just, really? Yeah, it's the I think it's the top two, top two males, top two females. Um, get the automatic
0: slots for it. Oh, okay. Right. Well that that I'll cross that off my questions for later on then.
1: Yeah, so it's I think Ben Hoffman's going and then Kevin Jervis. Okay. But, mm. uh, to be honest, it, it clashes at August time It's always a difficult time for me to race. It's kind of summer holidays and away with the family and the kids, really. But Right. Something that I, wanna... I did apply this year for the lottery, so we'll just see. Maybe a year after next, maybe.
0: Well, that's right because it's not exclusively a world championship event, is it? You can you can enter on the lottery like you used to be able to. It's just very oversubscribed, so probably even more difficult to win a lottery place there than it is to ex- uh, to Patagonia Man. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's t- let's tell people what what are different about these rent these events than your standard um, Ironman Triathlon. The distances are pretty similar, aren't they? But not Absolutely, always. Yeah.
1: Um, and they're always, not always, swims <laughs> always, always a little bit different. So, you know, Norsemen, probably the same as Patagon Man, where you jump, you get on a ferry at three in the morning, and jump off into a, a cold body of water at four o'clock in the morning. Um, but it's it's, it's pr- primarily is, the differences to support. Um, you know, there's no one. Um, on-site support really it's provided by your teammates so it's, it's a real team event um, which is one of the things that appealed to me really um, it's having this adventure with your mates um, you know and I, I couldn't have done this without the two guys either side of me really um, you know it's just it just makes it all that more special and especially on mm. a good you know and we had a good laugh that was the first thing but then to to race as as well as it did and um, that was just kind of the icing on the
0: cake really for, for us all really mm. so it's nominally a a 3.8k swim um right, yeah. but I guess it could be a bit more it could be a bit less and some um, in some of these fjords I know in Norseman um a lot depends on the tide times, you know. You could have you could have a ferocious um tide going out and and be like swimming in an endless pool, but you could also be blessed with a an incoming tide or an eat tide where y- you actually have quite a quick swim. So that's that's a bit of a lottery as well, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it was actually uh, cut down on this year's event uh due to how bad the water was. And I, I like swimming in dangerous bodies of water. And even I was standing at the side watching them go off in the boat thinking it's pitch black. There's like a four or five foot swell of smashing blue, uh, white top waves. and I was thinking, unless you're a really strong swimmer, you, there's going to be a lot of people pulled out of this. And I think they made the right decision in the end to to cut it short a little bit. Um, yeah. Because it, it was really bad, wasn't it? Yeah. When, they, when you can see people's faces getting onto the boat, I know everyone's nervous at the start of these events, but mm. there's nervous and there's like fearing for your life because of the... People you know, weren't broken. Yeah, well, yeah they, they could see before they even got on the boat. Mm. They were looking at like the boys at the side of the but at the ferries before it took off and they were just smacking side to side in the water. And I was thinking, to try and swim through that, if you're not a really strong, confident swimmer, you, it could just uh, defeat you mentally at the start there, I think. Uh, what was the water temp? It was really low. Yeah, the water temp was like 11 degrees. Wow. Like-
0: yes. Were you, were you swimming into those waves or was it coming at you from behind or, or were you swimming? If you hadn't
3: cut it down, you would have been swimming into them, going out, and then you turn around a, a, a naval ah. ship and swim back to shore. Right, and I think that's where it would have really got people. But just as the race was starting, it just seemed, obviously, with tides yeah. turning, it, it kind of calmed down a lot. Um, but, yeah, I think they made the right decision, but it's a bit bit of a...
0: So what was the swim cut down to then? 1,700 metres. Okay, so did they just take you further out on the ferry to the turnaround point then?
3: Yeah, so they took you to the turnaround point, which was a naval ship. And basically, you swam in a straight line back to the um, to mm-hmm. T1. Sorry, no.
0: And how do you... No, where you're going. I remember at Norseman, they had a bonfire on the beach, and you basically swim for the bonfire. But at one point, there's a little outcrop of rocks that come along. And if you're not careful, you're suddenly swimming in the dark, and then you then you swim in the ground, and uh, you have to sort of head out towards the fjord a bit.
3: Because there's nothing there. It's basically the lights of the harbour. Swim towards uh, on the way out. If you'd swam out, it would have been to the lights of the Navy ship, round the Navy ship, and then swim back to land. And there's only one building round there of lights on, so you just aim for the lights, obviously. So. It was, and there's a few boys on the way, which are markers, but they weren't race markers who can, like, as long as you're swimming that way, you'll do all right. Swim towards the lights, you'll be all right.
0: Okay. Yeah. I know um, there's been years in Norway when they've had to change the swim distance because of the outgoing tide, but that means that you have to come ashore um, a bit further along the coast and you end up riding 220 kilometres instead of the posted 180. Um, but but you know you've you've not maybe you've not had swim for swim for those thirty minutes you would do, but now you've got an extra hour or so's biking, but you've still got the same cutoffs so um everything
2: know, is extreme yeah. you know it really is extreme
1: triathlon. Yeah, yeah. The race, Simon the race brief um, they leave it a bit loose really intentionally so they they say to you that know they'll be be prepared. there's going to be some. Some challenges out there. We're not going to tell you all about the course and the route. It's down to you to kind of, um, you know, accept the challenge and 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 then you know adapt and, and get through these these obstacles. And one of the first obstacles, apart from the um, the condition of the water, was as we approached the the um, the harbour to get out of the water. I was expecting a ramp as you'd normally expect to get out of the water, and I was faced by a cargo net. <laughs> <and> a wall. <laughs> and the, right. And the, the, They'd put a cargo net on the, over the wall, and you were holding yourself up. So I just had a laugh to myself. It was just kind of epitomised the race, to be honest. It was um, it just made me chuckle getting out of the water, pulling myself up on a cargo
0: net. You, you were in the military, right, Scott? So you'd be uh, you'd be any yeah. with those things, right?
1: Yeah, yeah it was just it just yeah, brought me back to my army days. So it was uh, yeah, it made me laugh. And, and the good thing is, you get then get into T T one. You know, and, and you, you have to, I had to decide who my sport was going to be. And you have to wear a, um, a high-vis vest. Um, and they're the only people that can help you. But it was just nice getting into transition. You know, me and Mark had discussed what I was going to change into. And the difference is, you know, in Ironman, they they say, you know, nudity, disqualification. That's- in, in this it's it was liberalism it, it, it was, it was, they do say the race manual be prepared for nudity yeah. because people are just stripping off because it's so cold you need to get a fresh dry set of clothes on really so it was kind of strip off you know get yourself dry and then and get on the bike really
0: um, I, I remember that from the Norseman, that they said the uh, the transition one's been sponsored by the housewives of Eidfjord. So <laughs> nudity isn't just, isn't just allowed, it's expected. Yeah. 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 To be quite honest, it was that cold. Nobody would have seen much that, that, that would have made the sponsorship <laughs> yeah. worthwhile.
3: The worst part about the whole thing was uh, the T, uh, T1 T transition. There's a lot of people all come out of the water at singular times. Yeah. But by the time you're up to T2, like, Scott came into T2 on his own. So there's, like, all film crews and that round. No one around at all apart from me and Scott. And he's trying to get out of his race suit into his running suit. People filming, taking pictures. And, like, it's just, just not and bollocks everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. um... Funny, no one else to hide behind there. It's just Scott in the middle of everyone going, are you all right? What's your name? And then he's kind of take his clothes off and his undies off.
0: <laughs> did, uh, does that swim have much in the way of... Um... Jellyfish activity because I know a lot of the X tri races um, you get people posting about the, the the large numbers of jellyfish.
1: I I thought the actual swim was quite pleasant. It was they they delayed it and delayed it because initially the Chilean Navy they're the ones who make the call whether it's going to go ahead, and they would left it. I think we boarded a ferry at three in the morning for a four four o'clock start, and I think it was gone five o'clock by the time we actually jumped in
2: mm-hmm.
1: because they were just waiting for this bit of a lull. Um, Found myself in the engine room, trying to keep warm with Ben Hoffman, which was quite nice, actually. <laughs> Not something that happens every day. Um, but actually, the, the, the swim itself, had been, I'd been prepping in the, the River Day before I went out there, and that was down to three, four degrees at the time. So 12 degrees, actually, in, in Chile was uh, was quite pleasant. It was quite, it was quite nice, actually.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, the locals did uh, mention uh, like, that there was orcus in the area, didn't yeah. they? Um, wish that that's that was uh, uh, that certainly sat in my
3: mind when I
2: was swimming.
3: Well, we, we we did a they did a social swim. I think it was two days the day before or two days before the race. Uh, everyone got to meet and do a social swim just down the road, and that's where we saw the sign there saying that the caution there's orcas in this water. And, and uh, I think a lot of the orcas come in because it's uh the, like the fjords are... Uh, better for bringing up the smaller calves. But, you know, we, yeah, I didn't, really, didn't see that sign until I was coming back in. I was like, I'm glad I didn't see that because I swam, me and Scott, like everyone was kind of just swimming around a small area. Me and Scott were like, well, we've got to get 3K in. So we swam like a kilometre and a half out. and <laughs> Coming back with Lincoln, like, mm, maybe we shouldn't have swam. That
0: far. I've, I've seen Frozen Planet. I think David Attenborough says that orcas have never never really had nasty contact with humans, have they? But, but I mean, there's, there's always a first one, isn't there? <laughs> I do love tasting in a zone free wetsuit first. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should have been wearing an orca wetsuit. You might have been okay then. <laughs> so um 3.8k swim with a with a little bit of an added bonus if you're lucky. Um and then you're onto the bike. So uh, these these rides go over some changeable terrain. So I guess it's not exactly 180 kilometers, is it?
1: I don't know, it's pretty much um twenty five, Yeah it wasn't far off, to be honest. And it was he, he kind of apart from the gravel section. So um, there's probably, there's a few road work sections and a few, uh, probably three or four other sections where it's it's proper gravelly. So some people were choosing to go off the bike and then push the bike through these gravel sections. But it, we, we, we'd ridden it enough before to know it was rideable as long as you took your time, really. Um, but there's a couple of sections where quite fast descents, but you had to be aware that round the next bend was you know, 50 metres of uh, of gravel. Um, so it was good to be able to wreck you. And we'd, we'd, driven, we'd ridden probably 75% of the route and then we'd driven the rest of it. Um, so we were kind of well-versed as to what was coming next, really. Um, but the other thing, Simon, was the um, the weather. It was really cold, obviously getting out of the water. So we'd planned what I was going to wear. And then the guys were then going to drive past me and meet me every 20 miles. so. Basically every hour. Um mm-hmm. but I'll let Mark kind of explain because it was it was difficult for the guys initially coming out of transition really with the vehicles. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it was. It's a, obviously everyone's got their own um support crew. It's a mandatory requirement of all the extras that you've got a support crew with you. So, so it's hundreds of cars. So when you're coming out of the swim, there's a lot of people who are good swimmers who are out before you yeah, but they're not good cyclists. And obviously you've got a lot of support cars then. Trying to some of them weren't following the rules and they were trying to stick next to the rider and talk mm-hmm. to them while riding. And like Scott's shooting off, and I'm thinking, I'm not gonna catch him before his first point here, because yeah. he was of Scott's like putting good power down on the bike and getting good distance in. Um once we got out of uh Port Chacabuco and uh, Port Ison and that where the start is and the start of the bike, you get onto long straight roads, and the thing about the whole extra route is it couldn't really go anywhere else because there's only one road in um <laughs> in yeah. patagonia and that's the road the race is on we took our bikes i think and we'd have a great week of ride and there's not just one road and it's the race route <laughs> <laughs> right. unless you've got a gravel bike or a mountain bike it's just one one tarmac road the rest are all hardcore roads but anyway trying to get out trying to catch scott up people like blocking roads and the first bit's a bit carnage a bit mayhem but it's expected and once you start getting to the front it starts thinning out and you can we can set back into the routine that we'd originally planned where I'll go 20 miles up the road or 25 miles up the road which should be Scott's first hour stop make sure he's all right swap his bottles over and that's the way we planned this we we could we wrecked the route day before in the car I, I'd, I'd marked lay by points where I could safely pull in get his bottles ready do a fast pass to him and then keep him going and and that's what we kind of planned for the whole route. It is like a military operation, the whole race, really, <laughs> on, mm-hmm. on, on the bike side. But you've got to try and take into consideration route safety, the riders' safety, and obviously the competitors, but also not let Scott get to a point where he's got no nutrition for like two hours and going flat out. So.
1: I think it's quite stressful for the guys, to be honest, supporting me. You know, the, the stress of getting out of the T1 safely and then trying to find, as Mark said, really somewhere to, to be able to safely really and you know make sure I got my nutrition because without the guys I was only able to carry so much you know and I've been with, 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 with no kind of aid stations apart from the guys you know it's important that I'm meeting them every hour really mm.
0: uh, were so. you Grant were you were you in the car as well with Mark at this point yeah, yeah yeah, okay so you're working as a team I I supported for some people up at Keltman last year and uh, there's, a, there's a very narrow section coming out of the first um, transition and it's a single track road. So there's just lots of passing points every couple of hundred yards. And you could meet a, you know, camper van coming either way or a, a you know, a whole sort of line of motorbikes. So you have to wait. So I had to, I had to get out of the water and get up the road. So there was two of us supporting t- two cars, supporting two people. And you're right. It was a military operation. We had to share, we had to share support duties to start with until the, until they got onto the main road. Um, and I had to take a decision to get, up, get out before all the other cars did. Otherwise, like you said, Mark, I'd have been stuck behind and not able to offer any support. Um, but it's stressful, isn't it? Because you 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 go shooting up the road and you think, right, I'm going to get ahead of them. And you think you've gone a long way. And then all of a sudden you find somewhere to park and they're right there and you haven't got your stuff ready. Or you get a bit of the way up the road and then they don't come for ages and you think, oh, no, what's happened to them? Am are going to have to go back?
3: That's, that's the biggest, uh, that hour window that you you said for the rider to be going for an hour before he comes and meets us in reality we're like well that'll take us roughly 20 minutes to get through in a car get your stuff ready it doesn't work like that it gets to the point where you're down to the wire and you're going jesus i have got to get up this hill now you get up make the the drinks up because obviously we were swapping bottles every time shaking up new uh, nutrition and making sure you're ready to pass over and by the time you shut the bottle up and turn around, he's there snapping out of your hand. He's like, back in the car, jump again, next point. And then... It was surprising how quick he was always. Yeah, because Scott's, yeah, Scott's, was... Scott's like a like a robot when it comes to this. You know how fast he's going to be going. Isn't? And if he's not there within a certain time, something has definitely gone wrong. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was kind of like, passing him halfway and then by the time I knew it would pull over, I'd be seeing him come around the corner because the road's so long and straight. You can kind of see for quite a long way.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: You pass him and you think, oh, I've got 10 minutes past in there i'll have 10 minutes rest you don't you have about three three minutes <laughs> he's there behind you straight away good tailwind on the bike route as well really good tailwind for them and uh, it's like a corridor for them And a, but you do get hit once you get out of uh Kureki. you get hit with some horrendous sidewinds and some dangerous like sidewinds for a bike but uh,
0: so you, you, scott you mentioned that the, the gravel sections are they just short patches of gravel, you know, 50 metres long, or is it, is it actually like going through a forest and you've got a whole gravel section?
3: It's not gravel, it's hardcore. There's no road surface, basically. It, okay. the road surface will be gone. And it's just, it's like big, hardcore road surface. It's not fine gravel we'd expect roads. It's basically roadworks you're riding through. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, so yeah. just unplaned roads, yeah.
2: yeah. But it's been like that for years because the locals are saying, you know, it's been, you know, before lockdown that was there and,
0: yeah, well, I guess if the roads are like that, it also stops the tourists from racing too too fast through their neighbourhood, doesn't it?
3: There's um, only four four major spots um of road work. So that the first one was probably fifty meters wide, second one's roughly about the same, wasn't it? And yeah. then once you got off the main strip onto the last mountainous climb stage, there's quite a long section there where there wasn't but you're on a climb, so it was probably worse to be trying to ride through it because you couldn't go fast, but you also couldn't Ride hard because the bike's flying everywhere, and there's a lot of people getting punches. I think tubeless is the way to go forward up that way. Yeah, percent. Yeah, people getting a lot of punches there and snapping chains off, and that's. So...
0: Is it is it a time trial bike course then, Scott? 100%, if... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a good.
1: I I I don't know. I one of the best bike courses I've done really. It's it's got a bit of everything. Really, bit. I quite like climbing elevation, so it's got some good 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 climbing. Um, you know, when it's a good kind of like Lanzarote, really. It's got a bit of everything, really. You can get down and, yeah, and, and stay there for quite some time. five yeah. um, east, I think it's like 2,400 meters of climbing. So it's not huge, but it's kind of, you know, it, it's it splinters the, the uh, any big packs up, really. Um, it's
2: just the with the yeah. glaciers and the scenery is absolutely mind blowing. It's just beautiful. It, it just it's hard to actually comprehend no camera or
0: photo does it justice mm. that's okay for you grant sat in the car get, <laughs> did, did you did you get much chance for sightseeing scott on race day
1: uh, Not at all. well when we'd arrived 10 days before the race so we, we were able to kind of wreck everything but also you know had a drone with us so we took the drone got loads of decent photos and we were able to explore because i'd, I'd hate to go all that way and for the yeah. three be able to explore the kind of where we were really Um so that, that kind of made it special as well really to be able to see under you know no no stress of racing really of um mm.
3: the area really yeah we all had our bikes out there so we got to go and do a lot of rides and as a group and just going to see different parts and just going and adventure it's and maybe swimming, go swimming, go swimming and had a nice holiday adventuring, and then obviously the race got in the way of it.
2: We, 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 we've, gone, we've gone swimming straight from the airport, and we had not even made it to the accommodation. And we, really? It's a beautiful was it? it's stunning. Yeah. And we found, I've actually, wow, I've got something. Me and Mark had commissioned by a local artist. <laughs> I found some dripwood on the race um, that was there, and it actually was very similar to the bird of prey from the Patagon Man. Okay. So we, Me and Mark are local artists, Christine Paramore, and we
0: commissioned it for you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Oh, so you've not seen that before, Scott? Yes,
1: I haven't seen it. I think he's
0: mentioned it to me. Yeah. Oh, you need to please please send me a photograph of that and then I'll put it on the podcast notes. Yeah. Thank you very much. So that was one of my questions. You mentioned the logistics, Scott, and this is one of the things that I found really enjoyable about both the Norseman and the Celtman. Was the planning aspect of it, and and it makes it 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 makes it a lot different, doesn't it, to your average Ironman race where you've got all that support and there's no brain power involved, and and also for, for Mark and for Mark and Grandley, it also keeps them involved because you've got to be thinking on your toes, and like you say, you think, oh, I'll have chat, we'll have half an hour, we can go and get some lunch, but you don't really, do you? Yeah,
1: it was just, um, but the whole thing actually, Sam, of planning the the actual trip, um. Yeah, I think I was lucky where I, I positioned ourselves for the accommodation. We were kind of equidistant from the race start and the race finish, so it gave us an opportunity to, mm. to explore, um, you know, the whole region, really. Um, and as you say, on race day, then it was, um, we, we planned it well, to be honest. It, it worked really well. Um, but it just had that little bit of that element of something different than Ironman, really. You've got to think about, you know, what happens to this one. There's no there's no bike bike support. So the guys have got all the spares if if, um, if if we should need
2: them, really. Yeah, Mark took a pretty inclusive toolkit. It was more or less a bike shop. Oh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> he had everything to plan for every eventuality. Yeah. I've got coming
3: out of only problem for it that way. <laughs> 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 yeah, wheels in the car. But yeah.
0: the, the trouble with that is, though, that if any of the other teams spot that you've got all that kit, all of a sudden you become a magnet. Like, oh, you, you haven't just got a torque wrench we could borrow.
3: They're on, they're, they're, they weren't planned stops. They were on our schedule. They didn't happen. <laughs> we had a strict schedule and we stuck to it and uh, it worked out well. But like, like Scott was saying, where we were, we were perfectly bang in the middle. So we rode to the start. We, rode to the we went, drove to the T2 area and did the first half of the run. Didn't you? And yeah. then I drove around and picked them up from the backside. Yes, yeah, we ended up. So we got to Reckey a lot, but a lot of other people that travel there were staying in. Chebecca, which is its very start, and there's nothing around there, mm. so you'd have to go 180k just to get to see where the run start was. And it's a long okay. Back. Yeah, back. yeah. It it's was... not easy roads to drive, it, it's an it is a good, good,
0: uh, good old slog in the car, yeah. yet, isn't it? Did you what sort of what sort of car did what sort of car did you hire?
3: Yeah, the, the all the cars that you hire over there are almost pickup trucks, like a Mitsubishi L200, yeah, one.
0: yeah, okay, so. Those are like if you were describing that. There's really only one road in and one road out. So if you're traveling anywhere and you get in a line of traffic behind a truck, that's it. You're moving at 30 miles an hour, aren't you? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Unless you do some evasive moves.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there was a bit of mad driving. From yeah. Loading. Some of the um, some
3: of the teams were um, driving a bit inconsiderate of other race users if if they'd lost and. Like you say, some people are faster in the swim, but not as fast on the bike. So when they're starting to get caught by the faster bikers, they weren't moving out of the way or making passing a bit more dangerous for the sport mm. trying to get ahead for their riders. And it was a bit frustrating, but um, it, like you say, once you get past a certain, I'd say probably 30K into the bike, it, it really fizzled out then, didn't mm. it? Uh, and then kind getting into where the, the faster
0: riders are at the front then. The, the Kelpman is a loop. It's a big loop, just one big loop. But you're on the North Coast 500 route, so there's a lot of tourists around even at that time of year, and all the f- support vehicles had to have a Keltman sticker across the uh, side of the windscreen so that they knew who you were, and you had to have the race number in there, and there were some very specific instructions in the briefing that you had to adhere to the road rules, that you had to park in designated parking space, you couldn't just park on the side of a, a carriageway. Um, to support your person, and then, and, and like you said, Mark, block it for everybody else. Um, so, and, and there were there were time penalties and disqualifications that would have been handed out for for cars that were seen to infringe um, the rules. Was that the case in in Patagonia, man? Exactly
3: the same. We had they had the race, the team race numbers uh, stickered on the back of the truck and on I think it was the the left hand side door. Yeah, so, and which had your your riders' race number on. So obviously, if you saw a car driving. You could tie that car to the race mm. and penalize them um exactly the same you you've got to park in. and the good thing about it is that there was a lot of laybys around there for like gravel laybys at the side of the road whereas the northwest uh 500 whichever route it is 200 is it's very narrow around there isn't there with limited spots but the, the 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 opportunity to stop is plenty full over there it's just Obviously you've got to pick them right, otherwise you you might miss a few, and then all of a sudden your riders go in another 10, 15, 20k without any hmm.
0: Yeah. Win, win. So, so there's there's also something enjoyable about doing a point to point, isn't there? Scott, yeah. as a rider. That's
1: right, yeah. It's just um yeah, it was just um the whole thing really, you know, the scenery as as Grant alluded to, really, the scenery is just breathtaking. Um and the fact that we'd wrecked it as well we knew what was coming. Um, so we knew the, the first part of the bike would be quite cold. And then there's a couple of climbs um, into the main town. And once we kind of got into the town, um, as Mark said, there's a bit of a right turn then kind of just before, when's it's that? It, um, there's a right turn then, and that's where the wind changes really. And I thought, oh, I'll start working quite hard now with some climbs. So we ended up changing clothing and, um, so it was just kind of El Blanco.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's
3: El Yeah. So it's where you come off the main, the main fast road. And that road up to that right turn is really fast. Uh, then you turn off and it starts going into a more or less like a 10-15k climb. Um, and that's where like, there's a lot of strong riders on the flats that were round about neck and neck with Scott. And then as soon as you got to the climbing, the faster fast um round just you know dropped. We were thinking, oh Scott's gonna do all right in the next thing he's miles ahead of them all the next checkpoint you know, and we got to the very top of the climb before you come down the switchbacks he's a long way ahead of them then and we were thinking oh well he's he's right at the front of the race now i think he was just changing over the, the section of that last mm-hmm. big climb because it is a long 10k climb mm-hmm. and it's hot mm-hmm. and it, it, it suited scott perfectly down there where he could really just keep on going but there's nothing there's nothing outrageous about it it's just consistent yeah, it's yeah. All the way up. it's like yeah. five six percent all the way up but it's just consistent and um, then obviously the switchbacks and the last run into the T2, really so, fast. Knuckled
0: in there, bit, A bit like that big climb you get in Mallorca then, Pig Major. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Probably is not part of but yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. The okay. On, the oh, yeah. <laughs> On the last handover, so obviously I'm slowing down, passing the guys in my bottles, my two bottles with my nutrition. So they passed me two new bottles. Um, But I end up with three bottles. (laughs) So (laughs) so for the last uh, three to 10 miles, I'm riding with a bottle in my mouth (laughs) because I've got nowhere to put it on my bike. There's obviously no aid stations I can stop at. I don't want to get caught littering because obviously you get DQ'd. So I'm riding 10 miles with a bottle in my mouth.
3: I I didn't see him riding with his bottle, by the way, because I did a joke. As soon as we gave it to him, I knew the descent was so fast. I had to jump in the truck, go as fast as I could to T two, park quite far away. Then they had to run. We've yeah. all got to gear as fast as I could to T two, thinking he's, he's going to be there before us. And running down the street with all these bags, like some kind of nonsense. <laughs> 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 He turns in with a bottle hanging out of his mouth, like "Could have put this off me." <laughs> I,
0: I had what you've just described there, Mark. I had that exact nightmare in in Celtman with the two I was supporting because I had their running shoes. That the the other two guys that were supporting one part of the couple they got stuck and they gave given me the running shoes. So I went ahead, but I couldn't park at the transition. I had to park two K down the road and it was really congested. So it was moving really slowly. And, and it's a really long descent, quite a famous descent down into Torridon and, I'd seen them at the top, and I'd got right ahead of them. But just as we talked about, you, you you can't really estimate very accurately how far ahead you are. So I'm running back down the road. I'd got, by the way, i got I'd got a calf injury as well, so I didn't know whether I'd be able to run. So I'm jogging back down the road. I'm trying to get to them. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be there. And then I got there, and they both stood there in transition, <laughs> no shoes, <laughs> waiting there with all the running gear on, no shoes. And I, I think they'd been waiting a couple of minutes. And in the end. Well, when they got to the first checkpoint before you go up the mountain, they were the last couple. They had 30 seconds to spare. So if I'd been any longer, it might have been my fault that they didn't get to do the full route.
3: Yeah, I was uh, I was running down the street thinking I'm not going to make it because I knew Scott, that road coming into T2 fast and I knew we'd be going like 30 plus mile an hour all the way down that road. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, just as I got there sweating in a high-vis vest and running all these bikes... He pulls up and the next thing, like everyone's talking to him. I don't think they expected uh, it to be like Scott where he was because like, I think the, a lot of the higher numbers were the faster riders, and, and Scott's number was like really low down the, the pecking, sure he
2: was.
3: pecking order. And they were like, Oh, from there, but yeah, you yeah, know, well, soon we were once, shocked. Scott, was once Scott got all his stuff on and we spoke to and, and got him out there. We were speaking to the guys on transition and said. What positions are you in now? And he was at third. He's in third now. So the two, two ahead of him were obviously the first and second place. And we were like, oh, things have just changed dramatically. Was up until that point, couldn't see anyone because it's just so remote. You don't see anyone passing. You don't see anyone lapping or doing loops. It's just point to point. So you're just concentrating on Scott. Mm. You keep passing, but you still don't know who's in front from there because it's just point to point. And that's the, the joy of it. And I don't think Scott knew. Where he was at until I had no idea until the run until I met him on the backstage of the run. As soon as he went off, it was like the weight of the world up my shoulders. And I was like, I've got more or less two hours now before I have to see him again. So (laughs) even that went faster. That went horribly (laughs) fast.
0: So, so you said. So tell us about the run then, because um, quite a lot of these events, there are parts where you have to have somebody with you. So is that the case in Patagonia, man? Where you have to have a, a second? Um.
1: It's, it's actually a 44k run it is um, and I'd say the first 15k are climbing um, and then you kind of maintain that elevation along ridgelines um, and, and um, it's, it's like on a hard compact isn't it mm-hmm. it's, quite it's, a hard like, it's like fire roads you know? there's just like, yeah. fire,
3: like a, fire roads for the forest that you get around in the UK really very uh, undulating. You, like, yeah
1: but um, so you've got um, the Avalade limited aid station at 10k and then they've got a second aid station at 20K, but it's not like an Ironman aid station. to be a family, you know, with their kids there, giving you some, you know, Gatorade and some Coke and some water. And that's it, really. And, and a dog. On a dog. <laughs> a bit, Don't forget yeah. the dog. So basically, um, <laughs> I'd left transition, um, not seen anyone, but was informed that I was in third place. So, and obviously I knew then that it was Ben Hoffman and Kevin Jervison, first and second, so I thought, opportunity to get on the podium here with two professional triathletes. So I thought, don't mess this up. Um, but I've got no idea how far people are behind me, whether you know, they're five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, but as you got to the first aid station at 10K, um, topped up my water. Um, but you're pretty much self-sufficient, really. Um, but then out of nowhere came this border collie, So um, and then it stayed with me. Uh, it ran with me to heel for 34 kilometres oh really <laughs> ran, ran for two hours 50 um, and all my, photo, all my race photos because at some point you're going through rivers you crossing rivers and we've got photographers out there uh, and all my photos are with this dog we've <laughs> got videos and you crossing the line with this dog um, and actually bad time we'd finished um, crossed the finish line to inform obviously the race director that this dog's come out of nowhere it lives 34 kilometres away, we need to get it back to his owner. Um, so that was pretty special to be honest. It was um and that was the only th- that was th- that's all I saw, you know, on the whole
3: race until you get to
1: it's a 32.
3: It uh, so you you met me at 30k. <laughs> so then it's like last 15k I was running critic. Yeah, I off I'll
1: let Mark explain what happens then from, t- t- from the finish
3: back to kind of 30k points. Uh yeah, so we get I, I drive to the finish line, drop the car off there, and then there's buses then, that shuttle, yeah, because the road, the run route's so narrow, uh, and, and it's like a fire track road, they take you up on buses, and um I got onto the bus and said to my friends, come in, and said, oh yeah, it would be a while, yeah, I said, no, did in third place, you need to get on the bus, and there's basically first, the, the two pro teams on the bus, and me sat there thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know, I
2: I hate running. Ben Hoffman's wife isn't
3: wasn't. Ben Hoffman's wife was Some other guys. I don't even like running. What am I doing on this bus here? <laughs> <laughs> but then they take you up to past all the waterfall, which is the iconic waterfall. You've seen a lot of the pictures with Tim Don and that isn't the yeah. main ones. Up, up a fire road track. And it is the last 15k is either flat or, or descending slightly, really. Um and that's where you can meet up with a team member to run the last 15k with you. Or give you any nutrition if you it, but there's no aid station after that points after 20k a, yeah. uh, so you, you it's up to your team if you want to get more nutrition and and top up anything but also have that last little bit round with him. um yeah and Scott started running there's no way of sticking with him I said just keep on running I'll be behind <laughs> I've got I had a bag full of nutrition if he needed it so I'd always catch him up if I needed to but he was gone like I said because I told him people were catching he just got into his head now I'm going I said don't slow down for me don't Think this is a, an, an enjoyable run, just go flat out. I'm behind you somewhere, just miles
0: behind. <laughs> where, were, where were you, Grant? Were you I was 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 it, with him? I was waiting on the finish line with the camera. Okay, <laughs> right, good job, good job.
1: That's the thing, Sam. You've got you've either had both the guys with me, there's only one support that's allowed to kind of hand me nutrition uh, and then run with me, really. So it's um, it, it was um, it was just uh, Mark on that part was able to, to do the run with me. But, Grant, Grant was my social media. I was head of yeah, social media.
0: <laughs> but it is, Mark, that, that worry that, you know, you're supposed to be the one that's supporting them. Um, but if they're in a hurry and you can't keep up, it's a bit embarrassing that you're jogging in behind. Uh, well, that was how I felt about it in Kelpman. Yeah. I, I needn't have worried because they were so tired that um, yeah. it was, it was, and it was so, the, the conditions were so bad. It was like sort of parting the mist to find the route. So uh, nobody was really running. I couldn't, I couldn't keep up
3: with Scott, even if he'd just done double that distance. I always knew that, but I was kind of, I, I wanted him to know that I was behind him. And if he did need anything, he wouldn't be waiting long before I caught up with him. Mm. But it was funny because obviously Scott had flew through. And then as all of the media trucks, because we were so far ahead of the rest of the pack all the media trucks that were coming up were thinking I was part of the race and they kept on jumping out to take pictures of me and that. they just laughing. Saying, I'm not even in the race.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. You, you'll probably end up on some sort of um, reel now for promoting Patagonia, man. Yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> you and you and the dog and the real racers won't be in there.
2: Yeah. The dog was the- us- absolutely adored you didn't it yeah. yeah it was just
3: it was a magical moment the dog. the good end to that dog story was that uh, when scott was panicking about because he's a big dog lover himself he's panicking about where this dog's just going to go miles away from home and it turned out that it was one of the, the marshals pet so one of the people at the finish line ended up taking it back to him yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, good I'm, I'm sure listeners would have been writing in asking what happened to the dog never mind scott yeah. what happened to the dog <laughs>
2: It's quite family orientated as a race, isn't it? So the, the the race director and the the people associated to the race team that are running the event, their their kids are there involved, and you know you see a lot of the youngsters, weren't they, that were at swim practice? And yeah. it, it's It's got it's just got a real community feel
0: mm-hmm.
2: it, and something magical about it. It's got that. It's, it's definitely got something that Iron Man hasn't got.
0: You. No, I don't think you guys have been doing triathlon long enough to know that that's how a lot of races were back in the eighties and nineties. You know, that, um, the, uh, the guy who was the race director was also the local tri coach. He was probably also part of the mountain rescue team. And, uh, so he'd have had his dog there and his brother was the farmer that owned the route where you, you, you went running through. And his other brother owned the field where the transition was. Um, and, that's the same at Keltman. you know you've got four guys that organize that and they've all been doing it up there for years and um you know there's a lot of locals that help out on the course and know the route like the back of their hand and uh um i suppose that's 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 why people are starting to like these events more and more because they've got a less commercial more adventurous um try something different feel haven't they
3: yeah I, uh, I like the um the fact that they've kept them to really restricted, limited numbers as well, so it makes the whole air, the air around the event, a lot more special. I believe because if you do manage to get lucky to get in through through a lottery, it is normally like through luck, and then you've really got to knuckle down and commit yourself to the event. And it's not like it's a big mass event where they're probably going to miss like two hundred people not turning up to an event because the event is two hundred people. <laughs> mm. Three hundred mm, matches. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of them. Varying size, depending on obviously the the local surroundings and the infrastructure that's based around the events. But they mm-hmm. are quite low numbers, as you know, with Keltman and, and Norseman's limited slots. And
0: yeah, I think it's like like with Iron Man, they used to have really low dropout numbers, didn't they? You know, in the sort of three or four percents. And I think it's because the, the amount of training you have to the, the investment financially to get. To, 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 to enter and then to train and get the equipment and to get to these venues is is big but also um certainly on things like the Celt man it's right up in the northwest of Scotland it's a full day of traveling to get there you know Patagona Man's down in the southern part of the world very south um so it's not an easy trek um so you, it's it's an adventure just to get get to the destination isn't it never mind racing
3: I think
0: we had two and a half days travel yeah. mm-hmm. to, to get to... Yeah, wow. And so, well, oh. given that it's so far away and you've had so much travel, um, w- there'd be a lot of people that are thinking, I'd like to enter for this race and if I got in. What, what sort of costs are you looking at um, to get to this, Scott?
1: So f- flights are around... I mean, we we looked at... We, we end up booking premium economy just because of you know, it's a bit more leg room. Um and also because we're taking bikes and stuff, it kind of gets included in the price. But so you're looking anywhere between a thousand and sixteen hundred pounds for flights between economy and premium economy. Um and I know nowadays I mean we had to you can't go direct now to um we had to go via Santiago and then a night stop Santiago and then down to Balmaceda the next day. Um, I think about four years ago, you we were able to go Santiago, a couple of hours Santiago, and then straight down to Balancida. Um but, but there I'm back now, you've got to stop in Santiago. There's no um, there's not a connection straight away. But it gave us a, nice, a night both ways in Santiago, which was good fun. It was nice to see the city. Um, but it just adds, you know, another half a day's travelling either side, really. Mm-hmm.
0: So... Then you get down there. How much driving do you have to do once you've got off the plane?
3: It's pretty straightforward from uh, because there's only one road, which is the race route, by the way, which you drive from the airport to. It depends on where you're staying and what point of the course, really. But I think from the airport to Koheki, where we stayed, was about an hour's drive, isn't yeah. it? About an hour's drive. Didn't we did nearly a thousand miles. So in yeah, weeks, in yeah. the two weeks we were there, we did a thousand miles on the truck and um, just driving back into to lakes to go swimming everything's miles apart. There's nothing in between, really. So, yeah, but yeah it's, the roads are good. You can't get lost. We, we asked if we could have a sat-nav when we got there or a map, and they're <laughs> all like And then once we got outside and got in the car, we're kind of like, oh, this is why we don't need a sat-nav because there's only one road to go on. <laughs> you're staying on this road somewhere.
0: <laughs> and and what about accommodation? Did you did, did you stay in a hotel or did you do an Airbnb? It was like
1: an Airbnb all through booking.com, and it was the guys, um, it was like a, it, it was. I wasn't too sure what to expect. It's in the pictures on booking.com um, and actually we had a kind of two bedroom it's like a chalet was yeah. like it's like, a, it's like um, a log cabin kind of chalet kind of um, and it was a guy who had a plot of land on the side of the road built his house put these kind of log cabins um, on the side of the hill and there's probably about three or four of them <laughs> yeah. um, and it was just beautiful we had really nice views uh, nice kitchen um, he had two dogs as well so we made Made friends with his dogs, <laughs> so uh, they came to see us every morning, yeah. um, and, and it was great. Actually, we were ten minutes drive to to the main town for for you know nights out, Grant. Yeah, um, the supermarket, um, restaurants, and that. Um, or we had you know a decent um, decent little kitchen, a decent little chef in there, Grant. <laughs> 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 he was our chef.
3: But, the food um, in the supermarket is really expensive over there. Yeah, that's one thing. The, you, you notice when you're over there, the food is really expensive. We were spending a lot of time we go in there. Yeah. I, I don't think it helps because you'd never went in there with
2: a list, did we? We are just walking around <laughs> and we get, yeah. that, we get that. You know, typical men going shopping, supermarket shopping, you know, we we don't think properly or we're, we're not very organised. I oh, just see things and go around that, around that. can't recall Sam
1: what we paid, I paid for the accommodation. Um. Maybe I can't remember now. Maybe 1500 pounds for maybe the, the two weeks, really. Maybe a bit more than that. I think the the truck was about a grand for the uh, for the two weeks. So I mean, it does add up in that. Um, but you know, I, I I cover those costs because it's you know I've asked my friends to come. They're taking leave from from work and that. You know, it, it's taking the time away from their families and that really. So the least I could do, um, I felt was to to pay for it really. Um, mm-hmm. Without them, I, I couldn't have done the
0: race. Um, so sorry, Scott. Just confirm you did you did you pick up the tab for everything then?
1: Yeah, most things. Um, we we agreed basically. Um, we'd, we kind of um, with the air cost we'd, we'd, we'd split we'd split that. Um, but I picked up the com- accommodation costs and the, the truck and that. And then between the three of us, when we were there for
3: eating that, we just we just split it three ways. Yeah. Um, just kind of kept the rolling tab of all the foods and dinners we were having out and then more or less when we got to the end, we tied it up and we were in like a couple of dollars each between the, the total amount spent. So it was always fair that way, but like Scott was saying, he he fronted it and supported the trip um, and the adventure, which we were all grateful for. It was a good time for us. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic.
1: I mean, you can get away with just having one support if, if that's what you choose to do. Um, you know, but for us, it worked with three of us really. It was um, three mates and it was um, it was a... Worthwhile
3: well experience for us all, really. You can hire support while you're out there as well, Simon, on that on that Patagonia race. Um, mm. There's locals that will, for a fee, support you on the bike route and that. So I don't know how worse and uh, militarized it we'd be compared to what we were, but <laughs> I think if, if you want to tick a box to get in a race and probably reduce cost, if you wanted to hire someone over there, there's a few people that were doing that. We bumped into on bike rides saying we they just paid a local. So, so. Yeah,
0: I, I've I've done. You know, obviously, I've done the Norseman as an athlete, and I've done the Countman as support. And it's definitely better if you've got two people, even if you've only just got one car, because it means while one person's driving, maybe somebody else can be doing some food or shaking up some drinks or just reading a map, or just just it's just nice to have somebody to talk to because it's a long day out as well, isn't it? You know, you you. You're up at the same time and there is a lot There is a lot of stress, as you've already referred to, um, as a supporter. And by the time you get to the end of the day and you've crossed the line and you've got back to your accommodation, which is no doubt a bit of a drive, um, you, you, you've been up for the best part of 24 hours.
3: I think we can yeah. let the accommodation on race day at one o'clock in the morning, yeah, yeah. It? Yeah. and then it's more or less an hour and 45 minute drive to the start and then you have to go and rack everything up and get there on time. Scott loves a good faff, like so yeah, I like, Transition.
1: I like to get there and transition open, Simon. Yeah. I like to get everything squared away. I like to laugh. Yeah. So just, yeah, we end up getting think, there at three in the morning.
3: Yeah. Um, By the time you've racked and that, if the race started at four, get on the ferry, there still isn't much time then. It's kind of in. But mm. the good thing about them smaller races is the transition's not massive. First I And mean, it's first come best dressed and your position in the, um, in the transition area as well. It's not like this is your allocated number, it's go where you want and and <laughs> it's basically you pick where you want to get changed. It's not like based around your positions or nearer the exits and that, it's just like go where you want. Um, it was good, good that way. And then, but it, like you say, starting from one o'clock in the morning and then by the time Scott had finished and then it was nearly, nearly two hours drive back to the... Um, to the accommodation. I think we have got back about o'clock at night, didn't we? And it's, yeah. they say it's just that mental exhaustion when you get home and you're thinking, I know Scott's gone through the physical and torture, but as, as from the support team, you're thinking, just need to sit down now and just like breathe out. <laughs> just relax. You don't realise how tense you are for the whole thing. Horrible. One thing I will say, Sam,
1: for people listening, um, you know, we, we went out 10 days before the race, um, but I know we met a few people from the UK actually out there who... They arrived on the Wednesday, you know, and we're racing on the, the Sunday. Uh, no support, they had someone out there. So it is possible, you know, you can, th- there's quite a few bus transfers from Balmaceda, um Airport, either to Chacabulco um, or to Kohiki. Um So it is possible to do it without car hire. Um, you know, so you, if you want to keep the cost down. Who, who, the, who was the John, guy, John, mm-hmm. the,
2: John Nobel, the Greek? Nah. Yeah, yeah he asked the local to support him and the local
1: said oh yeah no problem at all so just a random local wasn't yeah it. yeah okay. um so yeah for those people listening that you know it is possible to, to travel solo and arrange through um the race director to to get support there um and to keep the cost down really um but but the, you know the, the only difficulty with that is you don't tend to see you know the, the much of the um experience the, the
3: the countryside really and the people really. Yeah, if you're in and out really within five days, if you go to the bottom of the world, you, don't, you want to see a bit of it before you leave don't you Don't want to just chew your stem for three days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that that's that is my thought exactly. Is if if you're gonna if you're gonna invest two and a half days to travel there, I definitely wouldn't want to be coming back that quickly. You know, and what's the chances you're going to go there again? Um, I'd I'd want to spend a bit of time and see it. Um, while I was there I think if I was going to go but you know perhaps other people don't have the holiday time or the budget Um, Scott you you, um, you're experienced at these long distance events but I'd be interested to know what um, what you changed about your training to get ready for this event I know you talked about swimming in the River Dee so you got used to the cold water was there anything else you did differently
1: not really Um, I suppose running out in the hills in North Wales um, I tend to run with my dogs anyway um kind of monday wednesday friday they were kind of my easy days but i'd take the dogs running rather than running kind of maybe around the meadows around the river Dean, chester i'd go up into the hills in north wales and, and them. um it's good for the dogs and good for me as well really but on the whole i didn't really change a great deal like kind of quite consistent with my training you know with tuesdays and thursdays are my big brick days and then you know a long ride saturday and a long run sunday really um We've got a good group of guys actually that we go out riding with, you know, on a Saturday out to uh, Snowdonia. So we've got plenty of elevation. And then Mark will come up with some daft gravel ride to do. <laughs> good,
0: good lad, Mark. As just, I like a bit of gravel riding. Honestly, if if yeah. you ever come
3: across a ride a GPS route plotted by me, just stay away from them. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> so, um, but yes, on the whole,
1: not a great deal really. The main thing was the to the river um i was quite kind of concerned about the temperature um i end up swimming in the Roker thermal swimsuits um the thickest gloves i could get i mean some people chose not to swimming gloves and boots but i had gloves and booties got used to them in the river day. Um, you know i had no issue with them really to be honest um but i know ben hoffman don't think he had either on to be honest or didn't have any gloves on um but, uh, but for me, I needed as much sneering as I could.
0: Really, he probably wasn't in the water that long enough to get hands cold, was he?
1: No. <laughs> weirdly, he wore Alpha flies, didn't he,
2: on the run? Yeah. Even though it was a trowel run. He did what? Sorry. He wore Nike Alpha flies on the trowel run.
0: Mm. Well, I didn't ask you about that actually. What was your choice of uh, footwear for the um, for the run?
2: The
1: yeah, Nike. Um, so Zogamas. Nike Zagama's
3: trail shoes trail shoes they are which I just love
1: I use them all the time now um, I tend to race 70.3 in Vaporflies. flies I'll run full Ironman in alpha flies uh, but for any trail running these Nike trail shoes are just you know, plenty of cushioning a decent bit of traction they've got carbon the sole I think no they haven't no know. no
3: you just got the Zoom X foam soles on very similar to the Pegasus and stuff like that really comfortable nice shoes and they like, say hmm. the Sole isn't really aggressive or hard or too soft. It's kind of if you're running fire roads and it's 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 a perfect shoe for that, I think. Yeah, that that surface is, I think, if it got wet, it'd be a bit not a good choice, but then nothing is, is it? So, what was your
0: what was your finishing time, Scott? Um, I did
1: 9.50. so it was a 22 swim, a 528 bike, and then a 349 marathon. Okay,
3: bigger
0: and do. Uh, you know, people always talk about the black t-shirt, the coveted black t-shirt for Norseman, and I know some of the other races have um, different colours depending on um, what time you get into a certain checkpoint off the bike. Is that the same with Patagonia? Do they have a distinction in your finishing time or position? Not at all, no. Um, no cut-offs in that race either. It's just been... really. Oh. So, what was the what was the last finisher coming in at?
3: So there's cut-off times in general, but like do like Norseman, if you don't get to a certain point within a, you can't go up the mountain that's just like this is just a straightforward race like any race has got cut off but i think the final cut off time is 17 hours that's on that race, 17 hours on that race mm-hmm. and we were speaking to a lady a, day, a few days before the race a year or two before had uh, gone 17 hours five and got cut off five minutes before the finish line so she's back, back for redemption i think she got it this year
0: wow <laughs> that's um I mean, that's always painful to watch, isn't it? When, when you see people, but I always think in these extreme races, um, it's a little bit more harsh. I mean, you know, the rules when you go, I suppose. So yeah, events like this, it's, it's a long day out. It sounds like there's more attrition mentally because of the challenges you face and because of the terrain that's, that's not quite the same as, as doing your average long distance triathlon. Um, do you do anything special with your general training for Ironman, Scott? Do you have any intervals in there for your running? Do you do a lot of intervals, or do you just do you just find that riding around Snowdonia gives you plenty of time in Zone three and four, going up some of those steep climbs? And the the, the downside of of those hills is the recovery bit, really. And then there's obviously some some Zone two stuff while you're riding on the flats. Is that all you need to do? Yeah,
1: I think so. Yeah, um, but I think it's just getting, it's a mental battle as well, really. It's going to be a long day as it is with most Ironman races. And it's just getting, you. for me, I'm quite consistent. I've been consistent for the last five years, really. You know, Tuesday, Thursdays are always my brick days, as I said. Um, You know, I'm getting maybe 20 hours of training a week, you know, and um, nothing kind of changes whether I'm doing an Ironman or whether I'm doing an extra try. Um, It's just been consistent, I suppose. It's a bit boring to say that, but it's, you know, I feel like I, I, I ride well. Um, don't swim as well as I'd, I'd like to, but I ride well, and I know I, no matter how hard I ride, I can generally run off, um, you know, and, and do a decent marathon. To be honest, um, but this was a bit of unknown, really. It was 44k off road, um, you know. But speaking to kind of Ben Hoffman afterwards, you know, he, even he was struggling up up some of the hills on the run, um, you know. I was only 20 minutes behind him. I was only I was only 20 minutes slower on the marathon than, than Ben, so I was quite. I was quite pleased when, <laughs> when I found out, to be honest.
0: I'm just thinking there about um, the amount of training you're doing. Are you, are you retired now, Scott? Or are you? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I had a business with two of the business partners in 2019, sold it pre-COVID. We are in aviation, aviation maintenance. So, you know, we were fortunate to, to get the deal done before COVID. Um, and COVID hit, as you know, in 2020. Um, and, that, and that was me finished. Um, so being, you know, house husband, kind of dog walker. Uh, and my training hasn't really changed, to be honest. So even when I was working, so I used to get up at four in the morning, you know, and get two, three hours in before work. Now I'm able to get some sleep now, and that that's made a huge difference, if I'm honest. And it's a stress as well, Simon, of of running your own business. Mm-hmm. And the stress of, 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 of managing people and managing the business, uh, you know, it, it can't underestimate how how difficult that is really and then try to fit your training in. Mm. Um, well that's gone now. I do miss seeing you on Strava at 4 a.m. I wasn't I wasn't like, <laughs> it was always all <laughs> new, Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so the training's not massively changed, it's just the, the amount of recovery you get now. Um, and the stress is gone. And I'm I'm choosing to do this, so I've got no reason to worry about it. You know, we've been doing a five out of but it's my choice.
0: <laughs> Some choice, eh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I do get slated for the amount of time I do spend on the turbo on the treadmill but it's consistent training you can't hide from the numbers
0: no no I, I find uh, I think I'll probably be going out with Mark though on some of his gravel rides no matter how bad he says they are I think I'd prefer that I've d- I've done enough indoor five hour rides in my time <laughs> but well listen fellas I appreciate you spending some of your evening chatting to me Um it's been really interesting to hear about the race I I have Patagona on my list of places to visit. Um I'm not sure if I'll be putting Patagona man back up on the top of that list now after listening to you, it sounds like a, a nice adventure. I do. I do fancy some gravel riding down there, Mark. I think that would be quite good fun um, <laughs> without, without the stress of racing, but um, it sounds like a great adventure. Hopefully we've provided enough information t- to any of the listeners who have this on their bucket list. And, um, I guess, Scott, if anybody did have any questions, could we post uh, or point them towards you? Of
1: course, you can, yeah, no problem. Don't ask me for what my Instagram account is, Val. Well. I'll give you the details so you can put that on your uh, on your social media feed anyway.
0: Well, you, your social media man here, Grant, he'll be able to furnish us with all those details. Um, so, thank you very much for sharing that story. It's really interesting. I, I love to hear about um, all sorts of triathlon events, but these adventure things sounds like so much more fun and uh, it's no wonder that it's grown from one race in Norway to a, a whole series of these around the world um, so if if you choose to do one in a, in a slightly warmer place like Central Europe I think you'll have just as much uh, of a good time so Scott, Grant and Mark uh, appreciate you being here hopefully I'll see you on the start line somewhere and um, best wishes for your 2023 adventures great thank you take care cheers Sam. thank now. you Thank you again to Grant, Scott and Mark for joining me as guests on this week's High Performance Human podcast. Doesn't that event sound like such an epic adventure? Maybe I'll have to add it back into my bucket list. To make sure you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to iTunes, search for the High Performance Human Triathlon podcast and hit the subscribe button. So if you can remember back to the introduction of this episode, I mentioned the benefits of our membership program, which include access to a growing library of training plans for endurance events coming triathlon, duathlon, aquabike, swim run, exterior grand fondo cycle races, ultra trail runs, marathons, as well as more focused plans to help you build mobility and strength, as well as boosting specific aspects of your fitness, like functional threshold power for the bike or CSS pace in the pool. We also have monthly workshops which are exclusive to our SWAT members and all members get free access to our educational workshops on subjects like nutrition, sleep, strength and many more. We also have a growing range of discounts on partner products that I believe in, I use myself first and for which I do not get paid to promote. So if you'd like to learn more and access these member-only benefits, please visit my website simonwarr.co.uk and click on the work with me button and then click on the swap button you can also find a very obvious link in the show notes below you can find me on twitter instagram and youtube as triathlon coach or the triathlon coach and if you are going to itunes please could you leave us a review on apple podcasts you can also find a link for that in the show notes so that's all for this week have a great one yourself and i'll see you on the next episode